Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the home of behind-the-scenes interviews, stories, and memories that celebrate the heritage of the great game of hockey. The Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is hosted by Mark Willand. Today's guest on the PHA Podcast is Kurt Walker, who played three seasons with the Toronto Maple Leafs as an enforcer on a talented team that included the likes of Daryl Sittler, Lanny McDonald, Boyer Salming, Ian Turnbull, and the always colorful Tiger Williams. Kurt tells great stories about his improbable rise from an unknown kid from Hingham, Mass, to hockey's biggest stage. Kurt also discusses Dignity After Hockey, a charity that he created to help ex-players in need. Kurt is also involved in the upcoming Drop Your Gloves event in Massachusetts on May 5th. This charity event is in honor of his former teammate Joe Carlevale, a fixture in Massachusetts hockey, who passed away from brain cancer in 2017. Join celebrity auction host Jenny Johnson for this inaugural event to benefit the Joseph F. Calavale Jr. Memorial Hockey Scholarship Fund. This event takes place at the Doubletree Hilton in Danvers, Mass. For more information, visit joehockey.org. Today's episode is sponsored by HockeyTournaments.com. If you're looking to play in a tournament or just list your tournament, head over to HockeyTournaments.com. All right, we are back with a guy I've wanted to talk to for a long time, former Toronto Maple Leaf, Kurt Walker. Kurt, thanks for being with us today. Mark, my pleasure. Not a problem at all. More than happy to uh, to share some stories and uh, you know support this upcoming memorial uh, for Joe Joe Carlaville. So, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for calling. I really appreciate it. Well. Coming from Massachusetts, I grew up in the Bobby Orr era, as did you. And to see a, a kid from Hingham, Massachusetts, make the National Hockey League, but not just any National Hockey League team, the storied Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, the road to get there was not an easy one for you, and it was a, a real lesson in perseverance. Uh, you obviously were an underdog to begin with. You had a severe staph infection at one point. But ultimately, uh, you make your way uh, to uh, pro hockey, and you start with uh, the Saginaw Gears, and you play with a coach, Don Perry, who, uh, to say the least, would be regarded as old school. What was that experience like? You know, it's it's it's, it's interesting, uh, Mark. You asked me that question. He, as you probably know, or people don't know he played in the old eastern league which the movie slapshot was somewhat uh you know uh, it took the old eastern league and and sort of followed what what they did but he himself was as you know uh he was predominantly a, a tough guy he was an enforcer back in the day and um you know i shared that same role so when I got to Saginaw, you know, I love to play the game as well. You know, it's one thing I think to have the hardest job in any sport, which is to be an enforcer, so to speak. But um, for him, to co he wasn't a bad coach. What really, <laughs> I'll tell you the story, what was interesting was we were in Toledo, and they had a guy on the Toledo team named Paul Tantradini who had had 18 fights in 18 games. And... Um, <clears throat> Before the game, in the locker room, Don Perry said to me, Kurt, I want you to take this guy out before they drop the puck or I'm going to send you home. 
you talk about you talk about putting pressure on somebody, right? So right. I, I didn't have a choice. So I'm thinking, oh no, I'm playing defense. How am I going to take the center out before they drop the puck? Well, <laughs> as it turned out, I be I was the center, the starting center. Oh, <laughs> and so Paul Tantradini skated into the circle, and I was the left-handed fighter, and I had my left hand basically out of the glove and Don Perry was serious he would have sent me home back in those days so as soon as Paul skated into the circle and got close enough to me I dropped my gloves grabbed them and started a what turned out to be a bench emptying brawl unfortunately um, but that's the kind of guy Perry was and if you remember when he had his opportunity to coach the L.A. Kings, right, he made a similar remark to Paul Mulvey. Exactly, and it and it cost him his job. That's uh, the first thing I thought of when you, so, yeah, the first thing I thought of when you told that story was you know fast forward a few years, uh, and that ultimately was his undoing uh, with the Paul Mulvey situation. And speaking it of, was. you know, speaking of that, Kurt. Uh, you're in that role. Obviously, you are single-minded focus on that point to get to Toronto and play in the National Hockey League. Still, as you noted earlier, it's a very tough way to get there. There's not an easy job. Nobody has to tell you. Uh, right. When you're in the in, in the IHO with Saginaw at that time, it's a rough and tumble league. Um, you had to do what you had to do. You're playing with Don Perry. At any moment, do you, you say to yourself, you know, it's not worth it? I don't. I don't necessarily want to do this. I just want to play. Any any second thoughts at that point at that young young point of your career? You know. You know the interesting thing for me was was basically, you know, my whole life. And back in, in nineteen, well, I graduated from Hingham High School in nineteen seventy two. I went to Northeastern where Fernie Flamin was coach, and I, um, you know, I. I thought I should have played for the varsity team, but I was playing on the freshman team. And I asked him, and he said, oh, I needed a little seasoning. Well, the issue was that 19 out of the 20 varsity players were Canadians on full scholarships. <laughs> so, I, so I knew at that point, you know, I, I had to uh, make some, you know, different moves. And I was, after that, I, I was, Mike O'Connell and I were supposed to, Mike went to Kingston to play with the Kingston Canadians in the OHA, and I was supposed to go as well. But the staph infection that I got in my right leg, um, believe it or not, they were going to amputate my right leg. It was that bad. And uh, I laid in the hospital bed for 32 days. And when they released me, there was nothing left on my right leg. All the muscle had atrophied. There was just a bone. So I asked them, okay, well, how do I get back in shape? And when can I skate again? And their answer was, well, to get in shape, just sit in a hot tub and bend it and rip the scar tissue and do leg extensions off the end of a bench. Because right. there was really no sports physical therapy. And, um, you know, I because of that, I missed my tryout in Kingston. And it took me a year to learn how to really just basically walk proper again and rebuild the leg. So after that year, I decided to take a skate uh, against their wishes, but I did anyway, and it came back quick. And that was when they formed 
as you probably remember, the New England Junior Hockey League. Right. And they had the Weymouth and Fitchburg and so forth. I was never really an enforcer by trade. I mean, it was one of those things that I started to play for Weymouth. I wanted to do something. I, I knew I had my goals, and, and I wanted to really continue and persevere, and I did. And um, what happened was I got in a fight with a guy from Fitchburg who was 6'5 at center ice. He had taken advantage and liberties with all the smaller players. It was the first fight I ever had. I just at center ice dropped my gloves and went at it with him. Little did I know that, and I know you know this name, Gary Deneen. A legend. Who, yep. Was scouting and was in the stands. And I had no idea. And after that game, he came to me and said, look, there's a team in Canada that really needs somebody like you. And I thought, sure. Okay, I'll go. So I went to Sherbrooke and met with George Gilbo from Sherwood Hockey Stick, who was the GM and the coach. And it was, you know, Sherbrooke is a French town, as I'm sure you know. Um, I guess it's probably, what, five hours from Boston, somewhere in there. So anyway, they needed a tough guy. Well, the only fight I'd ever really had was that one that Gary Gary saw. (laughs) But I took the role anyway. And apparently the guy before me was a kid from New Hampshire that failed miserably. So the pressure was on. Um, And it wasn't easy. But you know what? I, I did it. And I, you know, learned as much as I could. Um, I think I fought over 30 times in that Quebec League. But that's what led to the tryout in Saginaw um, because I was never drafted. Right. Um, so that's how it all began. I mean, just to kind of encapsulate a little bit. Um, and I met a lot of great people. That team had a. That team in Sherbrooke produced so many NHL players. It, it, I mean, Bobby Simpson, Peter Marsh, Terry Gillis, Richard Mulhern, and of course, Reg Lemlin, who played for Boston and lives up there. So that's how it all really started for me. I was very fortunate to be able to um, skate again, really, after what happened to my, my knee. Uh, with that infection, but that was the beginning. So I don't have any regrets. I, it got me to where I really wanted to be, and no, no, no. That's a good life lesson, Kurt, because you step up, you handle business the one time you had to fight, and somebody's watching who matters in your life. Uh, Gary Deneen, that's a good life lesson for anybody. You also get noticed when you're in Saginaw as well because – Again, you have a job to do, you're doing it well, and the Leafs brass notices you there, and eventually you get called up to the fabled Leafs franchise. Um, tell me a little bit about I know from reading it in the past, you get, you get an opportunity to, to do something very unique. I share this experience with your father. And I was curious about your memories of your first game, walking into Maple Leaf Gardens. It had to be incredible. You know, I it, well, I'll tell you what. I've had several concussions. I've had 11. And, of course, you know, I forget a few things, too. My age, I'm getting a little older. But 
one particular memory of when I was in Oklahoma City. Actually, I was invited. Another, Jerry McNamara was the scout for the Toronto Maple Leafs that saw me in Saginaw. And so after that year in Saginaw, I got in the mail an invitation to Maple Leafs training camp. And it's funny because on the last day of training camp in the morning, Don Perry happened to grab me. He was at that camp in Toronto and said, Kurt, look, you have to fight. And I said, what? He said, yeah, you're going to have to fight. I said, Don, these are all of our, you know, we're all one big team here just trying out. He said, just do what I tell you. So, you know what, being young and impressionable, I I decided, okay, I'll fight. So I had two fights that afternoon, and camp broke after that last session we had. Well, I got a call to go up to Harold Ballard's office, and a lot of people don't know that he lived up in the corner of Maple Leaf Garden. Right. He had a condominium up there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you got called up there for one, one of two things, right? No, you were going to ask me a question. I no, I, I was just saying it had to be a little intimidating going to see Harold Ballard. Oh, yeah. Because he was a very cantankerous guy, as you know, and uh, a lot of guys feared him. Um, but, you know, I said, okay, great. So Jim Gregory, who was my general manager at the time, said, come with me. And off we went to uh, Mr. Ballard's condo up in the corner, and I walked in. And he looked at me and he said, do you have an agent? And I went, no. He said, good, that's an extra 10000 <laughs> so I, and I wasn't sure what was going on, but he said, sit down. So I sat down, and he uh, he put a contract in front of me for four years, a three-year and an option. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God. So I signed it, and uh, it looked, looked good to me. The money was, you know, not great like today, obviously, but it was, it was acceptable, and realizing that now I had reached the pinnacle of what I had set out to do, <clears throat> I uh, they sent me to Oklahoma City, <clears throat> excuse me, which was the farm team of the Maple Leafs at the time. And about three, two, two and a half months into it, Ray Mirren, <clears throat> who was our coach and GM, called me to the office and said, look, the Leafs called. They want you to come up. Are you ready? And I looked at him and said, of course I'm ready. He said, okay, well, here's your flight information. And off I went. I called my dad because my dad was very, very instrumental in my playing. He had played at BU and then he went to war. He was in the Battle of the Bulge, came back. Um, but that said, <clears throat> I got the call and I was, it was, of course, hockey night in Canada. Wow. Seven million people sit around the TV and watch the game, right? And, of course, I got there, and I, <clears throat> yeah, the hotel was across the street. I was nervous, couldn't, couldn't nap or do anything. So I went to the rink and I looked around, familiarized myself, went into the locker room and met the trainers. And I had called my dad the day before when I had got word, and he flew up. And I'll never forget this. The trainers, uh, they gave me number 26. And 
that night, <clears throat> you know, my dad got in late. Um, so we'd already, I'd, I'd already gone to the locker room and met the players, Sittler and Salming and Turnbull and Neely and, and Williams. And, I mean, here I was, an American kid. And I think there were only four or five Americans back then in the entire league. And hockey night in Canada and the nerves. And so anyway, I suited up, put my sweater on. And when I walked out, my dad was right there. And of course, you know, I looked at him and it was, it was pretty emotional, as you might imagine. And um, It's like a movie. You know, I just kind of... Yeah, sort of. I mean, I kind of winked at him, and he, he nodded and told me he loved me, and <clears throat> um, you know, went out, went, got ready, and uh, the national anthem. And I, I, I was waiting for that first shift, you know. And finally, uh, in the third period, I got a tap to go out. So I went out with, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it was Stan Weir was the center. And he gave me the puck at the blue, right inside the blue line. And I, I'll never forget this. I took a shot, and Ron Lowe was the Washington goaltender. And I hit the post. And I couldn't believe it. It <laughs> rang right off the post. And so after the game, Jim Gregory, you know, came over and said, Hey, Kurt, that was a good shift, but I'm glad you didn't score. And I thought, I'm glad I didn't score. Why? And uh, he, he said, we didn't bring you up here to score goals. <laughs> so I knew, I knew then what was to take place because the next game, we flew out that night and they invited my dad to fly with us. We flew to Philadelphia to play the Broad Street Bullies. Right. So you're, you're, that, yeah, you're, that, in, you're in route to Philadelphia. I was curious what your mindset is. Obviously, you're, you're thrilled. You're in the NHL, but you know what's waiting for you on Broad Street in Philadelphia. And what's your thought process going into it, and what transpires when you hit the ice? You know, obviously, we all knew who the Broad Street Bullies were. We knew their tactics. We knew what they did, uh, how they won games. And, of course, I knew I was going to fight that night. I didn't know who. So it was just right in the first period, in the first two minutes, I got tapped to go out, and I think it was myself, Bob Neely at center, and Tiger Williams on the left wing. And uh, Schultz was out with Kelly, and I think Celeste. And I told some, I told Warrior to throw the puck into my corner, into the right corner. I, you know, and he did. And of course, McElhargy was a defenseman. He went in, and I went flying in and nailed him. And right then, the gloves came off. And then I started the fight with uh, Jack McElhargy. And then it got crazy because the bench is empty. You know, a lot of people today don't realize that there were some great, I would say great, great bench-emptying fights. Um, and I fought DuPont and McElhargy, and, and I mean... You know, I had two fights, and Schultz was there, but he had a cast on his hand, and he wouldn't fight me. Um, anyway, I got thrown out of the game with a couple other players, and, uh, you know, we made a very, very powerful statement. 
which said, you know, we're not going to get pushed around. We're not going to take it anymore, and you guys aren't going to intimidate us. And that's what I was trying to do was, you know, let them know that we were not going to be intimidated. Right, and I'm sure the players... After the games... Huh? What's that? No, I'm saying I'm sure that the the players certainly uh, appreciated that uh, statement being told and being made by yourself there. Especially guys like Boyer Solomon, guys who were taking a lot of physical punishment prior to your arrival. You know what? It brought the team very, very close. You know, it really brought everybody a lot closer together after that night. And we were all standing around the bus, which had backed down into the spectrum. And I was standing there with my dad and the rest of the guys. And all of a sudden, you could see Harold Ballard coming. And King, King Clancy was the um, And he yelled out, hey, Kurt. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I'm in trouble, right? So <laughs> I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And uh, he said to me, where's your stuff? And at first, I was a little confused. I thought about it for a minute. And then I said, oh, you mean my car? He said, yeah. He said, it's all in Oklahoma. He said, go get it. You're here for good. And I'll never forget that. And uh, that was really the beginning. Um, You know, it's one of those things you yeah, you do, and that's a great story, especially being able to share that with your father and a very, very rare opportunity indeed. Uh, you got a chance, as you noted before, to play with some of the greatest players ever in Leafs history and future NHL Hall of Famers. I just want to get in. You also got a chance to play with a real colorful character, Tiger Williams. I just want to get your your, your quick comments on, on a couple of guys. First of all, what was Tiger, sure. what, what was Tiger Williams like to play with? <laughs> you know, he was he was crazy. I mean, he was a very devoted husband, player, and, you know, just a very dedicated player. But more importantly, you know what? He was the kind of guy that if he told you that if, it was, if the sun was out and he said it was raining, he, he would try and... Excuse me. He'd try and make you believe that it was raining. He was funny like that, you know. Right. It was his his way of the highway. But Tiger was really a a, a great guy. He had a great heart. Um, he did a lot for a lot of people. He was a good hockey player, too. You know, you can't take that away from him. I mean, he's, a couple of years he scored 20 goals or more. Uh, and he also holds the record for most penalty minutes, I think, ever. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. Um, but he was a good guy. He was very supportive of me, as I was of him. And, um, you know, together there wasn't anything that we wouldn't do for the team. Um, you know, we were really like a band of brothers. Um, you know, we hung out together. We, we did stuff together. Um, and it, it, you know... The, Back in those days, as you know, um, the role of the enforcers uh, really seemed to have the ability to bring the team closer together in a lot of ways. Whoa, yeah, uh, you can definitely see that even in 
post-career guys look back and they always are, are very grateful for the job that was done because it made them able to do their job and you know to have the skill guys right. go, out, go out there and, and play i always think of boyer solving as, as being one but to be able to go out there and play the game at a high level without worrying about getting run off the ice by somebody who would not be accountable uh, previously. Um, and I do agree with you on, on Tiger Williams. I had a chance when I worked for the Whalers in the 80s. We acquired Tiger and uh, a very smart guy, uh, a very good guy, as you said, a very devoted family man. And, uh, you know, yeah. just uh, not always what people would think on the outside looking in. Also, I wanted to get your uh, comments on. Uh, the great Daryl Sittler, you were witness to, of course, uh, the most productive night in the history of the National Hockey League, his 10-point night. What was uh, Daryl like to play with? Daryl was a great player, and he was also a, a, a great leader. I mean, he really was. He was a great leader as well, and he cared. He got, you know, he made it a point to get to know each and every player on an individual basis. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like he just had the sea wore the sea and uh, and that was it. He really, really worked real hard to keep the team together, to work with players, um, not only on the ice, but off the ice as well. And, you know, he's just a, a remarkable guy. He really is. He was just a down-to-earth great guy. And you, you would, you know, he made you feel uh, special. And, and, you know, you would do anything you could for him. And clearly I, you know, I was one of those guys. Uh, I, I would, again, do anything for him or the team. Um, he was just uh, a class act. And, of course, you know, the night he scored six and four um, was obviously a tremendous feat. Whether it'll ever be beaten or not, I don't know. That record will be broken, but... Also, Ian Turnbull, if you remember, scored five goals as a defenseman against the Detroit Red Wings, and he did not have one goal in the first period. So he scored five in the second and third. And all of this, and I don't know if you know this, all of this revolved around Red Kelly's pyramid power. <laughs> you ever hear about that? Yeah, I sure did. I remember that was very uh, prominent in the 70s. And I was I was going to ask you about that. What kind of guy was Red Kelly? And just for everybody, what was Pyramid Power? Well, Red was a great, great guy. And he, he, never, he never said, we never, ever heard him use one word of profanity, ever. He you know, he, he had his own terminology, so to speak, for that. Uh, but he, he, he was a very, a kind of a gentle soul, if you will. And um, the pyramid power, you know, Red won, I think, nine Stanley Cups between the Leafs and, and Detroit. But pyramid power was his daughter had migraine headaches. And he had read somewhere where the power of the pyramids could help his daughter. So, you know, they had these little, I guess, plastic pyramid that apparently he put under her bed and it helped her. So he thought, well, if it helped her, I'm going to take it to the team. So, so what he did was he had, 
these pyramids made that were put under our stalls where we sat, each one of us. And then he had a big one in the middle of the room where guys could put their sticks in it, whatever. So I'll never forget this one. Then we walked into the locker room and none of us knew what was going on. And we were going, what is this? What, you know, why are these pyramids here? And we had to be, you know, educated onto what was, what was happening and what was going on. And of course it drove the media crazy. You know, you can only imagine uh, this whole thing with the media. But once again, <laughs> that's when Turnbull, on this particular night in Toronto, put his stick in and scored five goals oh. and set the record oh. for defensemen. So the pyramids traveled with us to cities for a while, and they were always there was one always under our stall. And there was always a big one in the middle of the room. And, uh, you know, I don't know. People called it hoaxy. Some people believed in it. Uh, <laughs> you know, how could you not when, when you saw Sittler do what he did and Ian Turnbull do what he did? Yeah, those so, are two feats you probably will never see. A defenseman scoring five, incredible, and uh, a player yep. scoring ten. And just to be part of all that obviously had to be – quite a thrill before we leave the Leafs part I just wanted to quickly say you know on the South Shore well they're still talking about the party and you talked about have you, have you talked about having uh, talked about having oh, a close uh, you had a close-knit group indeed and uh, you decided to take the uh, when you came into Boston for a game you uh, ended up taking it back back home Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that event you know, Mark, it's funny. Uh, man, I'll tell you, that party, what, what I did was, you know, knowing we were coming into Boston and we were headed to Atlanta on the next day. So we had, you know, we had the night and we had time. So I thought, okay, I lived in Hingham, as you know, on Polk Road. I, just, I decided, called my dad. Said, yeah, why don't we do some lobsters and steaks and, you know, I'll arrange, ask the guys, make sure everybody, well, the whole team decided to come. So we had to get transportation from the garden <laughs> down to Hingham. Mm -hmm. So my dad had a Cadillac and my grandfather did as well as my uncle. So they ended up with four Cadillacs that pulled up when we left the garden Everybody jumped in, and we all went to Hingham that night. And they had a bushel of lobsters. So what happened was, um, you know, we all jumped in. We went to Hingham. Uh, one of my uncles was cooking steaks. Uh, my dad was doing lobsters. Uh, my other uncle was sort of the bartender. Uh, and, you know, my parents and some of the neighbors had arranged the house so that we had, you know, a place for everybody to sit and enjoy and I'll never forget this uh, it was a, an incredible party it really was and the guys were having a great time and they were just overdosing on lobster and steak and the whole thing and uh, a few of the neighbors came by um, and of course you know uh, everybody liked to have a beer or 
two. So uh, a number of the guys may have got a little carried away. Uh, and the next thing I knew, uh, my roommate was asleep outside my house in the snowbank. <laughs> so um, that party, and I'll tell you, it was it went on and on and on. I don't think we got back to the hotel, to be honest with you, uh, until it had to be close to 3 that morning. And we had to be on a plane. We had our own chartered plane. It was a prop plane, and we were off to Atlanta. Well, a lot of the guys didn't feel too good the next day. As a matter of fact, Tiger, who was allergic to seafood, loved the taste of it, but was allergic, decided to eat some lobster. And that was a mistake because he broke out in hives and turned red. And, you know, we were a little nervous for him. But that said, um, we all got, we got back. I do remember one of the players uh, fell asleep in the elevator and was riding up and down the hotel elevator for until somebody got him into his room. Uh, it was a it was a crazy time, but it was a great time. What really killed us was the headwind from Boston, for whatever reason, to Atlanta on a flight that should have taken maybe at the most on this plane three hours. It turned into an eleven-hour flight. Oh, brother! And, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe overdid it a little bit at the party, but. To this day, you know, those guys, every one of those guys remembers it vividly and talks about it as one of the greatest parties of all time. Right. Well, in and, the end, uh, in the end, you're going to do it. You did it right. And like I said, folks uh, yeah. still remember that one. You know, you talk about uh, camaraderie, Kurt, and I think what's really telling is that in your post-career life, that camaraderie, uh, helping out your teammates, uh, sticking by each other has continued to be a, a theme for you. Can you talk a little bit about your uh, motivation to start Dignity After Hockey? Thank you, Mark. You know, thanks, Mark, for asking that question. Um, you know, I'm the type of guy that I, I never forgot where I came from. And I've always been involved in different things to try and help people in different ways whatever at the time whatever I was asked to do I was always more than happy to do it and then some and of course when you leave the game uh, the final buzzer sounds the door slams and that's pretty much it um, and the transition is it it's horrific it's very very difficult um, I went through it. I know a lot of players that went through it. I know some that, are, believe it or not, are still having difficulty. But that said, you know, I, I, I had an opportunity one day. I was thinking about what can I do to give back to the game? What can I do to give back to the players and help guys? And I thought, you know, we don't have any health care per se in the States. So I... <clears throat> I decided to start an organization, which is a, it's a 501c3 uh, Massachusetts organization. My attorney, Greg Sullivan and Ingham, uh, did it for me. And um, it's actually called the Human Dignity Foundation. But 
it's it, that's how it's registered. Right. But it's dignity after hockey. And what I did was, at first, I was able to get health care through a partner. I was able to get the guy's health care. If anybody didn't have health care and needed help, all they had to do was call um, a friend of mine in Detroit named Ben Galloway, who had the Society for Professional Athletes and still does. And they were able to apply online and and find the health care they needed with the exception of three states, Massachusetts, Vermont, and Rhode Island, unfortunately. Um, but then I also partnered with a company called Premier Regenerative Stem Cell. And the woman who owned it, Candace Stoles, had been working with NFL players. And uh, what she was doing was these are players that played in the NFL, guys that were injured and hurt, that probably should have had invasive surgery, but instead she provides the option for them to have non-invasive surgery, to have stem cell. So, you know, guys that have, let's say, uh, a back issue, a knee issue, um, any of that, well, she said, I'm more than happy to help you, Kurt, with NHL players. And so that said, um, she had two facilities, one in Denver and one in uh, Scottsdale. And the Scottsdale facility is a state-of-the-art facility with hyperbaric chambers, cryogenic, all of it. So last year, which in my first full year with doing the stem cell, we put 18 former NHL players through the program. Wow, that's amazing. The last Yes, it, it, it truly was. And, you know, the, the last guy to go a week before Christmas was the legendary Bobby Hull. And um, the great thing about stem cell is you walk in and walk out the same day. Um, the guys that came and went through had a, a variety, a multitude of different types of, of issues. There was everything from joint issues um, per se, like, you know, bad knee, uh, you know, back, whatever, um, to guys that had had a stroke, uh, believe it or not. Um, Brian Prop, who had a major stroke, um, you know, he went and had a procedure done. Um, and probably the greatest one, and I'll, I'll talk about it, is, is Mitch Wilson, who I don't know if, some people know the story, some don't. Mitch was a, uh, played in the NHL a little bit. He had um, the biggest heart of anybody I know and um, just played a hard game and, and fought and, and did his job. And unfortunately, uh, well, four years ago, July 17th, coming up, he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, which, as we all know, is you know, uh, a, a terrible, horrific disease. Yes. He had been, and, and Sally Roof, who was involved with the Maine Mariners in some capacity, and she's a wonderful lady, and she also helps me, um, contacted me and asked me to reach out to him, and I did. And at the time, he was going to Mexico, and he was paying $40,000 every time he went. And I called him, and he went four times and wiped out his savings. And I said, Mitch, 
how do you know what you're getting? I mean, you could be getting placebo. Are you getting your own? He didn't know. He, he had no idea what, he, what, what they were doing. So he asked me, well, I told him about the program I had. And so I sent him to Premier. And after the first treatment, he called me and thanked me and said he had felt better than he had ever felt before. Well, about two months later, he people with ALS, something so simple as being able to clear your throat or cough, he couldn't do that. So I sent him back again, and he had a, like a, a, a double, I guess, it, you know, it's, uh, we took the cells from his lower back, his iliac area, and gave him sort of a double dose and IV, and believe it or not, when it was over, he called me and he said, Kurt, he said, I can't believe it. He said, not only can I cough and clear my throat, but I can also move my toes. And that was something that he had never been able to do in a long time because he'd been in a wheelchair. So through all of that, he had six stem cell procedures. It helped him and gave him hope. Um, he's still with us today. Um, as I said, it'll be four years, July 17th, but you know, it's stories like that, uh, being able to, to help guys like Mitch or Brian or Bobby Hull or any player. Um, it's just an amazing piece of medical technology. And I've even talked to some of the, uh, the Bruins alumni about it as well. And, um, it's still we currently have two guys getting ready to go, uh, two former NHL players. And, um, you know, <clears throat> I continue to do that. So that's what I, you know, I love what I do. And I also love helping people. And that in and of itself really has been, for me, um, to be able to give back has been very rewarding. And of course, you know, the event upcoming this weekend, uh, it's not about dignity after hockey, but, you know, uh, it's an opportunity for a great junior team that hasn't been reunited in 47 years to get together once again for yeah. Joe Carlevale. Well, as you mentioned, May 5th coming up this weekend, the Drop Your Gloves event in honor of Joe Carlevale has turned into... Uh, a uh, real celebrity studded event. You've got the, as you said, the reunion of your, your Sherbrooke team. You've got a lot of guys coming up. Uh, can you tell the fans who uh, they can expect to see that night? You know, <clears throat> sure. And, and thank you uh, for asking me that, you know, the team that, you know, I had the honor to play on uh, produced a number of, of NHL players, first round draft picks, uh, Richard Mulhern, Atlanta Flames, was a first-round draft pick. Uh, Rich played for the Flames and the Leafs. Bobby Simpson, Atlanta and St. Louis Blues. Peter Marsh, the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, Reggie Lemlin, the Bruins. Uh, Tim Sweeney, the Bruins. Bobby Sheehan, the Canadians. There's just a, a number of uh, former players that have um, you know, made the decision to get together and uh, and to help, um, you know, Joe's daughters, uh, in particular Michelle, 
carry on Joe's legacy, which was he too loved to help children and worked and coached uh, young boys and girls, uh, you know, on the ice and off the ice, and was just a Joe was a great, great guy. In fact, um, he actually, believe it or not, he played on the same team, the Weymouth Conquistadors, that I did when Gary Deneen asked me to go. And, of course, when I was leaving Sherbrooke, they asked me if I knew anybody that could fulfill the role that I played. And I said, yeah, I know somebody. His name's Joe Carlisle. And so that's how Joe, that's how Joe got to Sherbrooke, believe it or not. That's interesting. Um, this goes to show you the impact yeah. you, can, you can have then and now. And uh, we're, we're really uh, looking forward to seeing you and your teammates and other ex-pros will be there. There's a lot more going on as well. It, it's the, the celebrity auction and uh, dinner, drinks, music, friends, and a lot of great auction items and a lot of great fun. All the uh, proceeds for this go to the Joe uh, Carloville Memorial Hockey Scholarship Fund. As our fans know, it's very expensive to play hockey. And for those who are uh, young players who are uh, in need of financial assistance to be able to participate, uh, this scholarship fund will help make that happen. So we look forward to seeing Kurt Walker yeah. there. We're glad for all the efforts that you do on behalf of former players and, and people in need, and we're uh, looking forward to seeing you back home in, um, in Massachusetts this weekend. Mark, thank you very, very much. And uh, like you said, this, this event is a great event. Um, it takes place Saturday all day. There's some wonderful, I mean, great silent auction items as well as a chance to win a Mercedes. So if anybody can shoot the puck from the blue line with accuracy, <laughs> they can find themselves <laughs> driving home in a brand new Mercedes as well. So well, that rules uh, uh, really that, that rules me out, but uh, we, I'm sure we have some sharpshooters out there. And uh, again, I just wanted to say thank you again for participating today and uh, for helping out the Joe Colville Memorial Scholarship Fund. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, this weekend. Mark, thank you very, very much. Look forward to seeing you as well and uh, all the people that come out. Thanks again. Thanks, Kurt. Take care. Goodbye. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. Be sure to visit us at ProHockeyAlumni.org. This episode of the PHA Podcast is sponsored by HockeyTournaments.com. If you're looking to play in a tournament or just list your tournament, head over to HockeyTournaments.com.